This is Ian Hartley. I'm Warren Kay. And I am Sasha Steenbergen. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. To another Rediscovering God podcast as we continue in our series in Genesis. This uh, podcast is focused on chapter four, which is a fascinating chapter because we discover some unusual uh, assumptions that uh, Christianity has made that we want to uh, uncover as we work our way through this chapter. So, um, we're starting at Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1. Ian, lead us into that chapter. So, uh, Sasha, if you'll read uh, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, I remind you now that we into a post-sin period. Adam and Eve have sinned, and uh, the book of Genesis continues the story. I also remind you that Genesis explains where the Hebrew people came from. This is the book of their roots. So verse 1, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. <laughs> that's great. I love the way that's written. Well, in my Bible, in the footnote, it says, the man. Oh, the man. <laughs> yeah. So I think she's reflecting back on what God had told her. And um, uh, and so this is the man. Aha. Uh -huh. That makes sense. I like that. You mean uh, what she probably thought was that this was the Messiah? Yeah. That come uh, save them? Yeah. For, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to uh, read this in Hebrew, but transliterated into English. So here's the Hebrew. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have a man from Yahweh. So there's some interesting things here. First of all, the word Adam uh, is Ha-Adam, which means earthling. Uh, mm. the, the being that came from the earth. Mm. And then it says new, uh, and the word, uh, Hebrew word is yada. He knew Eve. Mm -hmm. He yadded Eve. Mm -hmm. His wife, she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have the man from Yahweh. So yada does not mean acquaintance or friend. It means to have a deep emotional experience with another person. So here are some examples. The one in this verse, uh, we're talking about uh, sexual relations. Intimacy. 
into me see is a yada experience because you allow another person to see into your heart. Going to war is another yada experience. This is why people who go to war generally don't talk about what happened because uh, in war, other people see into you for what you really are. Mm -hmm. And it's not pretty. In great sorrow and great joy, we yada each other. And Jesus wants us to yada God and himself. Warren, if you can read John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to earth. So when it says no, um, you know, we, we usually interpret that as a cognitive information. Yeah. Know about God, know about Jesus. But uh, it's actually oh, speaking wow. of yada. You need to yada God. Mm. Only, you need to yada experience the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou sent. Right. So we're on verse 2. Um, later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. So uh, this is interesting because uh, this means we already have domesticated animals, which they, originally they were all wild. Well, would they have been all wild or would they have been all tame? <laughs> 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 In the garden, they would have been all tame. That's great. I love it. Okay. So um, let me restate it. By this time, we have a difference between domestic and wild animals. Okay. <laughs> okay I've covered my bases there. Yes. Um, <laughs> what else can we pick up from this verse? Well, there's the difference between the, the person that cultivates the ground and the shepherd that would have uh, moved around with the sheep to find uh, food uh, for the flock. So a more um, nomadic. No nomadic kind of lifestyle as opposed to someone that is cultivating the ground and staying in one spot where the, where the gardens are, the crops are. Yeah, good. So this is the background for verse three. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. What does your Bible say, um, Sasha? Um, are you using a different translation to Warren? Yeah, he also brought a gift, the best portions. That was the same, I think. Um, the Lord it's, accepted Abel, but he did not accept Cain's. Yeah. So he looked dejected at the end. <laughs> yeah, other Bibles use offering or sacrifice. Mm, mm -hmm. So I think offering goes along with uh, gift. Uh, but I'm not sure sacrifice um, yeah. is a synonym for a gift. In one sense it is, but in another sense it isn't. What do you guys yeah. think? 
Well, I think a gift would be uh, with, I, I don't know, depending on, I guess, the way that the person viewed the person who they were giving this to. But I see a gift is something that has no strings attached and that you're not looking for something for yourself. And the offering is maybe hopeful that there is, um, I don't know, like that a blessing comes with it maybe or something. I'm not sure. It's interesting. Uh, the NIV says, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of his, some of the firstborn of his flock which is something that's not in the New Living Translation about fat portions. Mm -hmm. So I, I have the Hebrew transliteration here again for mm -hmm. verse 4. I'll read it to you. And Abel brought also he of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, and looked favorably Yahweh upon Abel and his offering. So what do you Did think he actually brought? Yeah, so um, this is an interesting question. Um, what what did he bring? Um, so traditionally, um, Christians have said, uh, well, he, uh, because the word sacrifice is used, he killed lambs mm -hmm. and brought, brought them to God. Um, it's, it says in the Hebrew that uh, Abel brought an offering. So an offering does not necessarily mean that an animal has been killed. And I think this is one of the assumptions that we make in, in that we, we interpret, that, interpret this offering or this sacrifice to be a miniature what Jesus is going to do in the future and, and the 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 sacrifices that they gave in the temple. And so we just make the assumption that he's killing a lamb and that's his offering as a sacrifice. Yes, good point. We, we don't know how long, how much time had expired uh, since they had left the Garden of Eden. And nor do we know how old these men were. Um, right when this incident takes place. And nor do we know if they'd started eating animals yet. Mm -hmm. Because if they were still herbivores, um, the whole idea of slaughtering an animal uh, for a sacrifice would have been alien to them. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, we come to the story of Noah and he slaughters um, some animals and sacrifices them after the flood. It says it was a pleasing aroma to God. Actually, what they're saying is they liked the smell of the barbecue. <laughs> and they figured God would like that. Yeah. 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 So generally what happens here with this uh, story is uh, Christians say, well, the reason Cain's uh, gift was not accepted was because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. It was yeah. just fruit. And so the difference between Cain's gift and Abel's gift uh, is centered on the one is a blood gift. The other one is just a 
uh, what shall we call it? Uh, a meal? Herbaceous gift. It's vegetables and fruits, yeah. maybe nuts. Yeah. Uh, what I find fascinating is what's going to happen uh, to these gifts or offerings? Now, if Cain brings vegetables and fruit to the Lord, uh, what does that actually mean? Who's going to consume it? Or is it just going to be left there to decay and rot? Hmm. I, I don't have any answers for it, but uh, it is an intriguing question for me. Mm -hmm. So I want to give you an alternative understanding of what's happening here. The, the word that's used in Hebrew, I'll just read the transliteration again. Abel brought also he of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat and looked favorably Yahweh upon Abel and his offering. So this word fat, uh, Hebrew chaleb, um, does not mean... Um, an animal has been slaughtered and you have this organic fat there. It can also mean cream, uh, milk, uh, butter. Um, that's the fat also. Right. So it could have meant that he brought cheese uh, as an offering. But because of our preoccupation with Christ as a sacrifice, uh, which is good, um, we then extrapolate this and go back and say, oh, the reason why uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted was because it was a blood offering. So we're really we're reading that into the story, but that's not really what it says. Well, that's what I'm suggesting. So I'm going back to the text now. Mm -hmm. And it says that Cain brought some. Have you got that in verse 3? Yes. He brings some. And what does Abel bring? The best. The best. So I'm suggesting to you that that's the difference, is that Cain brings some, maybe what was left over, maybe he just randomly picked some of this fruit or vegetables and brought it. But... Uh, Abel brings the very best of what he's got. That really fits with the whole idea that God as creator is nonviolent. And, and now in this story, um, he's still nonviolent. He's not requiring the, sac the, the death of a lamb for this offering. He's just, he's asking um, or they're bringing, I'm not even sure if he's asking, they're bringing an offering, uh, one, but one is some of it and of his uh, fruit of his labors, and the other was the best of the fruit of his labors. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, verse three, just to respond, it says, when the time for harvest came. So th this is not like connected to morning and evening sacrifices or right. some feasts. Uh, it just says when the harvest came, mm -hmm. they brought some of their produce. So this would be kind of like a thank offering. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. Okay. But I'm still asking, have you guys thought of what would have happened to these gifts or offerings? Yeah, I mean, I'm just picturing other cultures, like when we were reading the book, um, A Thousand Paper Cranes, and how the family had a little altar in their home, and then they would always put things there for the deity that they were worshiping. And I know that they, they bring all kinds of things like flowers and cream and like all, all different things, right? To sort of honor the ancestors or honor the, the lineage or whatnot. Um, I think, I mean, I just feel like there's so much left out of this story and it makes me a little bit sad that there's a little bit left out because I, on, on face value, I think, wow, it, it feels like there's a lot of pressure then that I'm always bringing God my best and that I have to perform in a sense to, to make sure I figure out what is the best of what I have. I'm not a, a shepherd. I'm not a farmer. I'm not, you know, um, and so does he need my money then or, you know, whatever it is. And the part that is hard for me, I think, is because the, these are being referred to as gifts. And so if my child comes and brings me some wilted forget-me-nots from the garden, um, you know, I don't take that gift any less than the other child who, you know, maybe made a paper mache flower to give me or something. So I guess I have a little bit of a hard time, uh, which is why I'm assuming that stuff is left out of this story. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, you're right on the money because how did they know that God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's? Was there fire came down and burnt it up? Uh, uh, right. And nothing's recorded. It's just very vague and lacking detail. Yeah. yeah. So let's move on to verse five. Um, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. <laughs> so you don't often have uh, um, a, a description of the emotion that people are experiencing. Every now and then the Bible dips into that, but often it's just uh, like a factual account. Um, right. So here you actually have some emotion expressed. Cain becomes angry, he's dejected, um, because the Lord did not accept his gift or his offering. So now it gets even more interesting in verse 6. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain? Why do you look so dejected? My wife uh, sometimes asks me why I'm so angry, and what do you think my response is? How do you know I'm angry? No, I'm not that polite. <laughs> I say I'm not angry. <laughs> the volume and the pitch increases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and why well, do we deny? Why do I deny that I'm angry? Right. <laughs> well, I do like the idea here that that God is trying to get a dialogue going here. Well, it might have been better than to say, I feel your pain or something <laughs> like that, you know. 
<laughs> instead of this confrontational language. And maybe God did say that, and Moses, who grew up to be confrontational, put it right. Count the the dialogue this way. So now we come to verse seven, which is even more interesting. You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Okay, sin is crouching at your door. Unpack that metaphor. It's the first time that sin is mentioned in the Bible. Hmm. We say that Adam and Eve had sinned in, in chapter three, but the Bible doesn't use the word. Uh, this is the first time that it's referenced. Uh, sin is crouching at the door. And, and uh, to me, it's, it's amazing that, I mean, th this is a very short period of time. Adam and Eve have switched alliances to, to the serpent. And, and now it's their children that sin is identified in this way. And mm -hmm. as we will discover with devastating results. And um, I, 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 I remember hearing a description of sin as it, it begins as envy and, and then moves to rivalry and then accusation eventually violence resulting in murder mm. and that that's the natural progression of sin and jesus comes to show us there's a better way that by forgiving we can intercept that cycle so that it doesn't end in uh violence and murder but we can forgive and interrupt it that's very powerful, especially in light of this story, seeing that that is exactly the progression that happens here. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just run that sequence again. Sin begins as envy. And then envy, it and then it becomes rivalry. So I become envious of something that you have, and then I become your rival trying to figure out a way to get it from you. Uh, and so then comes accusation. And then after the accusation becomes violence, where I become physically involved in trying to, to act out what I've been harboring within myself. Uh, and that's kind of where the, the emotion, the anger shows up that yeah. pushes people to act out on what they're feeling. Uh, the violence then results in murder. So let's apply the sequence to uh, Cain and Abel. Um, yeah. So um, the rivalry, to see if I'm on the right track here, the ri rivalry is about the, the gifts they bring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before that rivalry, there was envy. There seemed to be... And, and, you know, somewhat natural competition between siblings of who's yeah. going to one up the other one. And, uh, and, and it seems to be about getting affirmation from God as to who, who will be seen as more important to God. So this is off the topic, but it's on the topic. <laughs> uh, men generally tell more jokes than women. And one of the reasons they tell jokes is because 
if you really have a good joke, everybody starts laughing and you disable them. And for that brief yeah. moment, you're in control. Right. So joke telling uh, is funny, ha-ha, but it's also sinister. And I'm not accusing people who tell jokes of having that motive because they probably don't know why they're doing it. Right. I, I have this picture of sin crouching at the door. Uh, it's like a pit bull knows you come out of that door. And so it's crouching there, waiting for you to come out. Yeah. Well, now I'm really afraid. <laughs> well, maybe you have an alternative explanation of the metaphor, sin crouching at your door. No, I like it. I, I mean, I, I like the analogy that you gave. So when it says sin is crouching at your door, what, what does sin want to do? It wants to control you and yeah. eventually destroy you. Yeah, exactly. And that's what God describes when he says, if you eat of this tree, you will die. Um, he's saying, uh, look, sin, uh, and of course, that's a personification. Uh, sin is crouching at your door, Eve. Um, actually, is crouching at your tree. Yeah. And uh, he wants to control you, and it will eventually lead to your demise. Yeah. We have what we call a carnal nature. It's an interesting word, carnal. Um, it sounds like it has something to do with meat. Mm -hmm. yeah that's just what i was thinking <laughs> what's the connection there and um it might mean that eventually you you become dead meat as opposed <laughs> to a living person that's so funny go. both of you are thinking meat and i'm thinking of a carnival <laughs> <laughs> oh boy all the sleight of hands all of the uh the illusions. Yeah. <laughs> so we're on verse eight. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So he lures him out into a private place. This is really intriguing. There's, there's so many questions about these early chapters of Genesis. How did yeah. Cain know um, that he could kill Abel and yeah. how did he accomplish it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's just, there's so much there that we don't know. Um, yeah. and, and, and to me, it's so tragic that here are the first two offspring and one murders the other. Yeah. Like so uh, fast. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it just, is beyond trying to comprehend. And like you say, how did he know how to do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's amazing. I mean, just a simple thing like killing a chicken. Um, mm -hmm. If you've never been shown how to kill a chicken, it can present a problem to you. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> I would be in that camp. <laughs> Uh, I got to wondering if this was the first death in the universe. It would seem that Adam and Eve had witnessed death in nature. 
but probably the first death that um, another person had caused. But what a scene, like, you know, now that we are aware of the fact that the entire host of everyone is watching everything play out, but I mean, what a collective gasp that would have caused. Mm -hmm. People would have been, because so many people, like beings, I guess, would have known or seen or whatever. And just the horrific feeling, it must have just gutted everyone. Yeah. Like, like that safety or that innocence was gone, like for real now. And, you know, like, did Cain intend to kill him? Did, did Cain just get upset with him and hit him with a rock or, 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 you know, something, um, maybe they argued and, and, and so, you know, uh, I don't know. Did, did he intend to take his brother out to do him in? Or was that just happened to be the result of whatever transpired between them? Because sin was, was taking control of him, and he didn't know that the end result of sin was death, was murder. Uh, but it, that's, he became aware of that pretty quickly. You know, there's another possibility here, and that is that um, there were other people around, and... Uh, because we don't have the timeline on this. There could have been other people and they could have been violent. And uh, let's go on to uh, uh, verse nine. Um, afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? So we, we have a, a lie going on here. Uh, but notice... Uh, the dialogue uh, where is where is Abel in other words I'm missing Abel so I know it sounds very much like the garden almost right it's this like moves from the question why are you hiding or you know where are you or whatever and mm. then now going to defensiveness right like what am I my brother's keeper like why should I know where he is <laughs> yeah this is uh, very evident to me that sin is a relational problem. Mm -hmm. it, it's uh, not primarily um, law-connected because there are no laws at this point in time. It doesn't say anywhere, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill, um, like these will only come thousands of years later. Right. So God says to him, well, I'm missing Abel. Where is Abel? Mm -hmm. I think God says the same thing about each one of us. If we uh, reject him, where are you? Where is he? Yeah, I'm missing him. So last time we talked about the brokenhearted creator, the... Mm -hmm term that's coming up for me now is the lonely hearted creator uh-huh yeah mm. he's missing mm -hmm. abel he's feeling lonely for that relationship he's missing 25 percent of the people on earth yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it'd be a big hole mm -hmm. so when cain says am i my brother's keeper what is he actually saying He's questioning whether it's his responsibility to know where his brother is. 
And this is, uh, he's trying to evade the, the actual truth of what's happened to Abel. Yes, because he knows very well what happened to Abel. It's a not so subtle attempt to change the subject matter of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, along these lines, I want you to notice um, what God says. Um, we're looking at this dialogue uh, as uh, evidence of sin is a relational problem more than a legal problem. So just listen to the rest of the dialogue in uh, 10 to 12. But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground from which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. So I want you to notice how big a role uh, ground plays in this conversation. The blood is crying out from the ground. Yeah. You banished from the ground. The ground is now infertile. The life of Abel or his blood has returned to the ground. And Adam was made from the ground. Mm -hmm. So now ground is absorbing life, not giving life. Mm -hmm. So the end result of sin forces the earth to, re to do what, it's not, what it doesn't normally do. It normally gives life, and now it has to take life, absorb life. I find it... Um, compelling when it's it's talking about you know it almost like a curse it, it almost sounds like a curse is happening here but in in the picture of you know prediction versus causation I hear more now the this as an end result because of and not just physically that the ground will be bare or whatever, but like what this is the this is the mental and the 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 thought life for him now going forward. What kind of a life does he have, knowing that the only other person in his life that was his friend or you know whatever is now gone by his hand, um, and so his existence. I think he would have a lot of demons so to speak to deal with in his life yeah and of course we have a name for that now we call it ptsd mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. but he's actually violated himself internally yeah. his own consciousness and a consequence of that is that he doesn't want to be with other people anymore yeah that's right. So that we find in 13 and 14. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence, and you have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. So these are almost exactly the description of the consequences of PTSD. People feel alienated. 
Um, yeah. They go into depression. Um, they feel victimized. And they often do things that result in their incarceration or the loss of life on their part. So let's think about this for a minute. Um, the consequences are he's banished from the land. Um, so he is a farmer. Abel was the shepherd, the stock person. This is uh, his end to cropping. Mm -hmm. So when it says he's banished from the land, it means that his cropping is going to be very difficult from now on. And what do you think it means that he's banished from God's presence? I feel like his guilt will push him away from connecting. That he won't feel connected. So it would feel almost like he's being banished. I mean, I can only hope. I mean, I can't imagine the thought that God would push somebody away from him. Well, but to, to be in God's presence means that I allow God to see into me. Uh, and, and he was not willing to do that. He, he said right up front, uh, I'm not my brother's keeper. Like, that's not my, you know, I, I don't want to be open with you anymore. I'm yeah. a closed book. So he's, he's banishing himself from God. Beautiful. I love that. So crystal clear. Mm -hmm. so well said. We, we have examples of this. Uh, the most prominent one that I can think of is Judas, who after he has uh, betrayed Jesus, um, he returns the money to the priests and says, I've betrayed innocent blood. Um, but he does not go back to Jesus. He feels uncomfortable in his presence and so uncomfortable that he takes his life. So for this reason, I see Judas as prophetic of uh, the wicked when Jesus comes again. It's just so uncomfortable in his presence. Yeah. Um, and, and that is because they have violated their own integrity. Yeah. That they'd rather be dead than see him. And we have that graphically described in Revelation 6, the last six verses. And, and then he says, I'm going to be a homeless wanderer and I'm going to be hated by all that want to kill me. Now that's in his mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's how he actually feels. Yeah. And he has God's response in verse 15. The Lord replied, no. For I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So uh, the Lord is disagreeing with Cain's opinion. And he's giving him a promise of protection. So this is the first time we have reference to a mark. What do you think the mark could have been? Now, in Revelation, you have a mark on the forehead and a mark on the hand. Well, also through Scripture, we have a practice of God uh, of clothing. Of uh, you know, he, he gave Adam and Eve tunics to wear uh, that covered them. Um, he you know he takes Zachariah's 
filthy garments off and covers him with a robe of righteousness with a tunic. Yeah. Um, th that's a theme that is shows up throughout scripture. It could have been a tunic, I suppose. That's good. I can buy into that. We're on full this. Yes, go ahead, Sasha. Yeah, I just like the reference to uh, that about the sevenfold punishment. And mm -hmm. I feel like in, <laughs> in light of what we believe, I'm, I'm seeing it in, in relation to the indigenous people talking about the seventh generation and how we, you know, that, that things, you know, carry downward. And so I'm, I'm thinking that uh, violence and murder and, and all that, the, the effects of it would carry down, uh, you know, far. And, and, and for people to have this, you know, firsthand seeing of, oh my goodness, this is what um, happens when someone takes someone's life like I feel like that he's describing what mentally would be going on for people or their experience just um, in processing this Thank rather you. than a specific um, I'm going to do this to these people pick up and just explain a little bit more about the reference you made to indigenous people um, well I, I'm just seeing uh, when we were when we first had our firstborn, we used seventh generation diapers. <laughs> and I, I had to look that up. I was like, what's with this seventh generation thing? <laughs> and so just seeing that the indigenous people, when they do an action or do something, they're thinking of what is the effect of this going to be seven generations from now? And to have that in mind before we do things so we can be really uh, responsible or sustainable about that. Um, and I know that that is like just a very small understanding of that, but that idea that this, an action carries forward and that there are consequences, um, long ripple effects from that. Hmm. That's fascinating. I wasn't aware of that. Thank you, Sasha. We're on four verse 16. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. I want you to read chapter two, verse eight, please. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. So Eden's in the east, and Nod is east of Eden, even further east. All the action seems to be in the east. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they hadn't invented other directions yet. <laughs> it's always just a little more east. <laughs> Okay, so we uh, our next section is uh, 17 to 24. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain founded a city, which he named Enoch after his son. Enoch had a son named Irad. Irad became the father of Mahuel. Mahuel became the father of Methuselah. And Methuselah became the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first was named Ada, and the second was Zilah. Ada gave birth to Jabal, who was the first of those who raise livestock and live in tents. His brother's name was Jubal, the first of all who play the harp and flute. Lamech's other wife, Zilah, gave birth to a son named Tubal-Cain. He became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain had a sister named Nama. One day, 
Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice. Listen to me, you wives of Lamech. I have killed a man who attacked me, a young man who wounded me. If someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 77 times. There's a lot going on in there. <laughs> and, and this is, of course, all the um, descendants of Cain. Now, what's really interesting is that Cain, the homeless wanderer, founds a city. <laughs> like right. you're a homeless wanderer and you start a city. <laughs> mm -hmm. How about that for a conundrum? Yeah. Yeah. Homeless no longer here. Mm -hmm. And then the city and his son have the same name. Now, there's a lot of talking about uh, lineage here. But actually, if you count up the, the generations that are mentioned, there's seven generations. So it's, it's like this wordplay around seven and 77. And... Yeah. 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 Well, and I can't help thinking about the idea of when it was asked, you know, how many times do you forgive? 70 times seven. And so it's almost like, you know, this idea of that, it, you know, there's forgiveness always available. Um, and an absurd thought, you know, can you imagine someone being punished 70 times seven for something, right? Well, clearly it's a, a linguistic uh, device. Yeah. Uh, to emphasize something. Yeah. Um, when you say seven times, um, and then if you say 77 times or seven times seven, you're really amplifying it. So, this is the first mention of polygamy. Uh, do you have, do you know of any uh, verses in the Bible which discourage polygamy? Mm -hmm. Just one man shall not serve two masters. <laughs> okay is there anybody else there who has an answer <laughs> that was great <laughs> works for no, me it, yeah it works for you eh? that's good oh boy no i don't so you know, I don't like quite that well <laughs> the best you can do is to say an elder must be the husband of one wife. Okay. That's the closest you can get. Um, mm -hmm. Like slavery is never condemned in scripture. So polygamy is never condemned. It doesn't mean that it's the best uh, relationship in the world. Um, just the Bible seems to have had bigger fish to fry. So this is the second murder we know by Lamech. Um, mm -hmm. And he boasts that he will avenge himself 77 times, while Cain will only be avenged seven times. We are on the next, uh, do you know the word pericope? Uh, pericope means a collection of verses that are carrying the narrative or making mm -hmm. one specific point. So. We've just read 17 to 24. Now we need to read 25 to 26. Adam had sexual relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to another son. She named him Seth, for she said, God has granted me another son in the place of Abel, whom Cain killed. 
when Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. So let's talk about what that could mean. This is starting the lineage of uh, Adam through Seth as opposed to Adam through Cain. So what yes. could it mean that they first began to worship the Lord by name? That was the same question I had. <laughs> well, it, it seems that perhaps what it's suggesting is this lineage, opposed to Cain's lineage, this lineage had a connection with with God. They they followed the the beliefs, the practices that Adam and Eve mm -hmm. uh, were teaching them as as children, and uh, and they had that connection with God. Just before um, I go to Genesis twelve, um, what does it mean to know somebody by name? Well, I know character comes up. The idea of the name being synonymous okay. with character. In scripture, when it says you know somebody by name, it means you know their character. Mm -hmm. Yes. So in our culture, what does it mean to say I know somebody by name? That you would know them well. Well, and they would know you. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know of people, but they don't know me. Yeah. Uh, I can't really say that I know them when it's a relationship with someone that you know them they know you you have it's a closer relationship well and i guess too here in our culture we'd say we're on a first name basis and then that would really mm. signify that i know you <laughs> yeah yeah versus i know pastor you know hartley and warren k or pastor k you know like instead that way so I want I want you to tell me your response. I'm going to say something and then just sort of take a snapshot of your response and reflect it back. I recently had breakfast with the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Education in Alberta. Well, it sounds like you're very connected, Ian. <laughs> The, the name of the Minister of Finance is uh, Taves, and the name of the Minister of Education is Adrian Lagrange. Yes, I'm connected. Um, that's probably a good response. But doesn't it impress you that I know their names, <laughs> that I had breakfast with them? Yeah, it does. It means you're, to me, you're you're connected with people, very important people. Yes, yeah. that's right. You're you're hobnobbing with the big wigs. <laughs> now, they probably don't know my name because they only met me once and I'm not on the news. That's okay, uh, Ian. I'm sure you told some good jokes and I think that you <laughs> own the room. <laughs> yeah. I have to confess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> See, I know you. <laughs> so um, let me say this also. Uh, sometimes when I'm traveling in a place where I think nobody knows me here, somebody will call my name out. This thing of calling upon God by name um, indicates that uh, you have a special relationship with this mm -hmm. person. It's, it's not just a duty. 
but right. it's become a personal connection involvement with the person. Right. I like that. Yeah. So have a look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, and we'll read verse 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. After that, Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord. Thank you. So in older translations, it says he called upon the name of the Lord when mm. you say worshiped. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. And you, you can see here the lead up to this calling on the name of the Lord or worshiping the Lord is the Lord revealed himself, appeared to Abraham, and yeah. they had a conversation. God yeah. said something to him. So worship is being in the presence of somebody you know personally. So we have finished chapter four. Chapter four. Beautiful. Great. Uh, let me pray. Dear God, we are in your presence. And we enjoy being in your presence. And in your presence, we feel welcome and accepted and affirmed. And this presence of yours empowers us and inspires us and leads us to want to tell others how wonderful you are. Amen. Thank you. You have made yourself known to us. There is no God like you. You are the God of the universe. Mm -hmm. We worship you. Amen. 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 will find the PDF document that we're following today on our website, rediscoveringgod.ca, where the recordings, the PDFs, the podcasts are all listed there. You can share that website with your friends and they can follow along. We'd also really love to invite you to the Monday night Zoom discussion where we all gather in fellowship with each other, all us listeners of the podcast where we can come with our questions, comments, thoughts, um, resources. It's a wonderful time of encouragement where um, we get to affirm each other and encourage each other. Um, so that's a Monday nights at 7.30 Mountain Time. You can just type in 403-506-9201. And we'd love to have you there.